Welcome to Man Reads Monday. I am Aaron Ventura. He is Jacob Rush. Let's get to work. Jacob, what are we working through today? Today we reach chapter three of C.R. Wiley's Man of the House, and it's called The Economy of Love. The Economy of Love. And what he talks about on page 18, if you have the hard copy of this book, is that to have an economy, all you need is one thing. And what is that? You, you need, need is exchange. 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 See, I wanted to say love. Yeah, you said all, all you need is love. Yeah, all you need, all you need is love. Right, and right. He sets up this chapter. If, if you think about uh, where we were climbing this ladder to look at love, and we're kind of we, we're talking about marriage, and we're talking about politics, and now we're talking about economics. And so he, he's he's saying, okay, yeah, I know what you're thinking. What does economics, you know, macro, microeconomics, supply and demand have anything to do right. with love? And he says, actually, I've been talking about love all along. You just didn't know it. Right. And this is because uh, love is somewhat of a exchange. A household requires a certain kind of exchange. Right. And he wants to, uh, he's going to set up this whole discussion about what a household economy looks like versus, say, a money economy looks like. Um, anything else you want to uh, no, say there before we get into grandma versus Walmart? Well, that's what I was just going to say. Let's talk about grandma's cookies. Okay, why don't you take us into that? Right, so he sort of gives the example to try and help you understand what he means when he talks about the economy of love. Right, uh, because that's yeah, that's our natural instinct is to think about stock market exchanges business. Yeah, and he says, okay, here's give this example. If you have an old-fashioned grandma, this is on page 19, you know that a gift from her is never a simple little thing, even when it is just a plate of cookies. So grandma gives you cookies, and he says grandma expects gratitude for one, and she expects you to remember the gift for another. But then he talks about this, that what she actually expects from you is for you to remember her. Because when she gives you the cookies, when she gives you that little gift, mm -hmm. what she really is doing, she's giving herself. Yeah. Right? So the, the cookie is just a little symbol, a token, a sign of her. Yeah. And that's why gratitude and that's why, you know, thanking your grandma and, you know, actually spending time with her is a big deal. Yeah. And it's interesting if you think about what do you give back to her? Mm -hmm. So what she wouldn't accept and what you wouldn't want to give her is the monetary value Here's that, it, bucks, that it took yeah, yeah. for her. Oh, yeah, thanks for your, t your time. And he says, no, that, that's not what she wants. What she wants is she wants you, right? She wants you just like she wants to give herself. And we use things to to give ourselves. Yeah. Um, he says, Walmart, um, on the other hand, just wants your money. Yep. Sure, it likes loyalty, but only because it wants more money. Grandma is not after money. Grandma is after you. Have you ever experienced uh, someone doing this, whether it's your grandma or your parents or a friend uh, give, giving you a gift? And uh, something, I'm just spitballing here, but yeah. how would we distinguish this from giving a gift with what we call strings attached. Right. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. It's sort of the, you know, when Jesus talks about um, your acts of piety hoping to be seen. Yeah. Right? You, you tithe a little bit because you hope that you, you know, somebody will notice and then they'll give you the best spot in the yeah. synagogue. Right? Yeah. And it's sort of, we've all kind of, um, sometimes we have it in this accidental way where we offer to buy a friend lunch and then they feel guilty 
And so the next time they're with you, right, there's a sense where they feel like, oh, I owe you. Yeah. Which, and some friendships, that's really unhealthy, right? And it becomes this, like, battle back and forth. Yeah, because you're keeping a record of who's... Of, oh, I owe you. That's a good way to do that. Like, oh, I got you last time. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think think that's one big example that we could fall into. Yeah. So he has this really good quotation, uh, the beginning pair beginning paragraph of bottom of page 19 he says money is a fine thing but it doesn't have feelings money doesn't have feelings and he says that's what's great about it yeah. because of its impersonal nature it makes it possible for huge numbers of strangers to work together to accomplish truly amazing things like building a car or sending a man to the moon but it also makes it possible to live without Grandma, who needs the old girl when you've got all that cash? You can go buy cookies at the store from perfect strangers who don't expect you to remember them. For Grandma, everything is personal. Mm. I thought, wow. That is, uh, uh, I think, a astute observation yeah. of money and its usefulness. Yeah. And also uh, warns us of some of the dangers that we can use money for, right? How many people right. don't actually want to deal with grandma? Mm. So they buy her off. Right. Or how many people don't want to take care of their parents or grandparents so they pay off a nurse or someone mm. else and we put them in these retirement homes where we don't have to see them. Mm. And they, I think uh, there are certain circumstances where maybe they need that care and you can't provide it. Right. But there's a way of trying to use money to actually keep things impersonal. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people in the West, we, we uh, I think, enjoy, in many ways, rightly, privacy, right? Yeah. Every man kind of has his own castle kind of thing. We build fences between houses, and I think good fences make can make really good neighbors. Right. But we also have to be on guard of how, uh, I think, I keep coming back to the three little pigs. Mm. You still want to have the brotherhood of the pigs. If you build this nice house, but don't know your neighbors, what happens in times of trouble? Mm. And this is where I think our perspective needs to continue to be. How can we use, whether that's, that is money, the impersonal thing, uh, which is totally fine, right? I like that I can go to Walmart, buy some bread, and I don't have to, uh, you know, I don't know where it came from or who, and someone else is being blessed by that because there's people who, Right. right? Yeah. So there's an impersonal nature to the economy. I think we just have to be on guard for what some of the pitfalls are of that right. without disparaging some of the true benefits, like you said. Could we really all send a man to the moon if if everything was a personal exchange between people of mm-hmm. love? Yeah. It's like, no, you need something objective. You need something neutral of sorts without feelings to be able to have, right. to accomplish those things. Right. Yeah. And this is, bi- I mean, this is for him is part of the problem is we're trying, he's, drawing that intentional contrast between what he calls the household economy and then the money economy. Yeah. And that's the direction we go next is to say, okay, and that's why he starts the chapter saying, okay, you're going to think that I'm not talking about love at all. Mm-hmm. Because, but that's because we've, we're doing, one, we don't actually know what this has meant before. And we're so used to, like you've said, Aaron, we've, we've fallen into that trap where we've, in many ways, depersonalized the household through money. I mean, we, talk, we can talk about something we talked about in Mark Horn's book where men don't want to do the hard work of marriage, so they buy sex. 
mm-hmm. right? You buy sex, you you buy porn, whatever it looks yeah. like, and you don't. No feelings involved. Impersonal, right? It's just what you want. It's your flesh. It's your desires. Yeah. And there's no giving of yourself. There's yeah. only taking. Yeah. I think a lot of people have trans transaction can be a kind of dirty word between. Mm-hmm. We're talking about friendships or ma- or marriage. Yeah. Marriage is a transaction. And we would want to say it's not a mere transaction. It's not like sex is just a mere transaction, right? right. It's, uh, it's, yeah. Something, yeah. it's something more than that, but it's not something less than that. Right. And so I think that is, it's important to talk about what what is the exchange. And the more we're taking a step back and asking ourselves, like I've never stood back and said, what actually is my grandma giving me? When she gives me right. the cookies, and, and Sierra Wiley has done the work of, of yeah, thinking, yeah. yeah, what what is she giving you? What is she asking in exchange? And and then putting a word to it, economy, hmm. now now changes the way that I think about my own household and extended family. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, the household economy and the money economy, and which direction are is our nation going right now, um, and is that good or bad? How would you, uh, how does he answer that question? Yeah, so he says, he says one bad, and he says we're cashing in the household economy. So we're trading this economy of giving yourself, giving your time, giving your love, your affection, your loyalty for the money. Mm -hmm. Um, He says the household economy is broken. Husbands and wives now have separate careers, separate bank accounts, separate names, and in some cases, even separate vacations. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, because what you're seeing is the disintegration of love, right? The disintegration of, we, you know, we talked in the last chapter about, of covenant. Yeah. Disintegration of uh, ties that bind you regardless of what you want in the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, in in ways, like again, we spoke about in Horn's book, wealth has made us um, forgetful. Wealth has made us decadent and because of that we've um, been able to outsource actual actual love yeah one of the questions that I had as I was pondering this was okay if the household economy is broken as I, I agree with him that it is and this is this is a uh, a result of our success in the industrialized age in many ways that right. we're able to have many of these great advances in science and technology. And it's like, you can't really go hungry in America, right? There's some food bank somewhere. It's like, if you, you can't really starve in America without, there's, there's all these safety nets that we've, we've built right. by, by and large. And I was thinking about what are some ways that we could maybe reverse this? How do we go from this money economy and start to add elements of this household economy back? And I don't know if it would be proper to say, how can we exchange money for love? Right. But, but if the exchange yeah. was love for money, I think there is a way of reversing it. And um, I, I think this would be an interesting question to kick maybe to the Facebook group and yeah. say, what are some examples of this? But I'll give you one that is a really easy one that comes to mind. So. Yeah. Uh, you know my mother-in-law, Larissa, ama- amazing woman, and she had, they, uh, so they purchased a house, and we live like three houses down from them. We rent from them, mm-hmm. and they have built this garden, and she, when they lived in Washington, her and her six daughters, one of whom I married to, they they were working in the garden. So these girls, all of them, grew up weeding and learning about 
you know, flowers and playing in the dirt and yeah, yeah. being distracted because they didn't want a weed. And uh, they grew up working. Mm. And the cool thing about a garden is you get to actually eat the literal fruit of your yeah. physical yeah, yeah. Labor, labor, right? And, and I think, so right now, this is, uh, they're, they're newish to Moscow, and this is the first year they're getting a harvest from this newly planted garden. Yeah. And it has been a wonderful experience to watch them uh, turn, you know, their yard and what they've, they've done, all sorts of construction stuff. Built a fence and set up the little, I don't know, uh, the trellis. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. All sorts of stuff. So, yeah, and yeah. I love to. So, I go down there. You know, maybe every day I, I probably see them or go down there, and I love to just walk through. And mm. I don't really know anything about plants and vegetables and what's what. So, you eat them. Yeah, nicely. Yeah, yeah. yeah they they've labeled <laughs> them. And yeah, it's crazy. You can just go in there and you can grab something and eat it. And I'm watching it grow. And I I went from seeing where it's just dirt. Yeah. Dirt and some seeds, and she had a little greenhouse inside, and then now it's just it's green everywhere. Hmm. And not only that, she has a surplus of stuff. It's beyond what you know, just they could eat. So she's sending up vegetables and stuff to me, and it's so cool. I could go down there and I eat a salad that was grown, you know, twenty five feet from where I'm I'm eating it. Hmm. Talking about, you know, farm to table. And I think there, this is a beautiful, perfect picture of a household economy in which no money has exchanged hands. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, she she purchased the tools or whatever to buy, yep. buy this and that. But now it's built on a work, this labor right. of love, um, whether she still has two daughters that are still there that yeah. help work it. But also she's blessing me. She's blessing other people as they have people over and is feeding all these other people right. with was something that they've grown, that she didn't have to go to Winko and buy extra of this. Right. And so uh, not everyone knows how to garden or can garden, sure. but I think, man, that's that's a really cool yeah. testimony to a way that you're adding value yep. to your own household, but you're actually adding value to other households mm. as well. You're actually able to be generous because you have um, a surplus. Are there any other kind of examples of this that you might have thought of, of ways we can... Uh, maybe go uh, go back or recover some of these household economies. Yeah, so, oh, man, we could go a lot of different directions here. But I think the one of the keys here is seeing that mind that mindset flip of later on he's going to talk about the household being the, the first institution, right? Yeah. And we don't have to go there now, but the fundamental institution of which the market economy is like a mist. Mm -hmm. So one of it is just seeing the... Um, the subordination of uh, getting your subordination correct. Yeah. So the market economy being subordinate to the household. Yeah, it um, exists to serve the household economy, not vice versa. Exactly. And that's one of the, the interesting things about it is we've got it so flipped where we've devalued the household because, and we, we've not gotten here yet, we've devalued what God has made us for. Yeah. Right? God has... Um, He's the source of light. He's the giver of life. He is abounding in love, mm -hmm. and he gives himself in creation and in, in Christ to us. And he made us in order that we would give ourselves back to him mm -hmm. and that we would be fruitful. Yeah. Um, so I think one of the big things we have to do is we have to recover a theology of who God is. Mm -hmm. right? God as um, the one who made us to glorify him and serve him with everything. Uh, and then... Um, particularly in how he made us to make people to give to him. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. 
The other example that I think is probably, uh, I think a lot of people in our community are capitalizing on this. I think of what uh, Daniel Fukushan is doing with Kepler education and the classical Christian school movement. And uh, you have uh, kind of these new models of education. So education is something that costs money. So uh, the public schools, we pay for that via taxes. Right. And that's where you don't want to take the cheese. Don't take the cheese. And, yep. uh, right. That's an exchange we don't want to make. Uh, but even if you say put your kid in a classical Christian school, I believe Logos is like five grand per child yeah. per year. And so that's that's money. And you have to weigh uh, what it, what is the product I'm getting? Is it worth the, the $5,000 for this kid or however right. many kids you have? And they have discounts for, I think, like more kids. Um, but another thing you could do is you could homeschool or do some kind of co-op. Or uh, you're homeschooling, but you're doing a hybrid where they're also doing some online stuff. So there's all these online tools. And so there's ways where uh, you're able to turn the home into the, the place of education. So you're producing, say you have a garden outside, you're producing fruit, but you have children inside, which are the resource, right? Mm-hmm. They are the point of all the other resources. What's the point right. of having all this money or having all this fruit and stuff? If there's yeah. no, if it's just going to rot because no one can, right. can benefit from it. Mm-hmm. No, Children are actually the long-term uh, investment and and you know result of the household economy. Mm. And uh, go, go ahead. Yeah, and just to to jump on top of that, he talks about how in this sort of logic of the household economy, it operates well. It operates on a different logic than the market economy. Yeah. Right. So on page twenty-two, yep. he um, talks about the household, and towards the bottom, he says. But at first, there are just two, a husband and his wife. But first, the two must become one. What seems like a reduction is actually a formula for multiplication. And so there's a, there's a uh, household logic where as you, as a, as a man and a woman, give themselves to their children, right? And what our culture sort of pitches as, as, a, as a, a shame, right? Oh, she's spending all of her time at home raising the kids, giving them shelter, not pursuing her career. What seems like a reduction actually is a multiplication because what happens and now you've got a gaggle of kids who then give themselves yeah. to a wife who then give themselves to a kids who and and that's where he says when two becomes one it leads to all sorts of things children of course but also sunday dinners and bedtime stories why it even leads to automobiles rocket ships fields of grain and soda pop so you you can't have at least for very long society in any sort of stable way Unless you have people who are committed to giving themselves mm-hmm. to one another and then to their posterity. Yeah. It, it's the logic of how God made the world because um, Jesus says, blessed, more blessed to give than it is to receive. If seed goes in the ground and dies, it bears much fruit. Yeah. There's this really, uh, so this is kind of the, maybe the, the downside people would say of having kids. He says, as a household grows, so does the giving. All right, that's good. Pause and reflect on what children give to a household for a moment. For years, they're on the receiving end of things. And this is what people think about when they think about, I don't want to have kids. They receive food, shelter, clothing, education. In the near term, they seem like liabilities, little cash sinks. That's one reason why birth birth rates plummet in societies that only look to the market to determine the value of things. Mm. I think going back to your 
statement about recovering, uh, you know, a biblical theology, a biblical anthropology. It's that right. we are made in the image of the God who is life. And we, God has somehow in this miracle say that when a man and a woman love each other, they enter in this covenant of marriage, right. actually produce other images of God. It's yeah. so it's so crazy. Yeah. And and uh, if that is, if you're letting God determine what is valuable, right. it's going to change the way you think about the economy and and what is and what you actually treat as valuable. Yeah. I think of how often Jesus comes on the scene to totally reorient what we think is most valuable, to take mm-hmm. our eyes off the mist, the vapor, to use Ecclesiastes' words, right. and to set our eyes on the eternal things. And he's saying, yeah, I want you to invest. Make make good investments, Jesus says, but yeah. you're making short-term investments if you think 80 years of prosperity is worth it at the expense of your soul. Yeah. Saying, no, run the eternal math. Yeah. And you'll find that if we're raising children, we're raising future souls that are going to inhabit eternity for all time. That's the real wealth. God has enabled you to contribute to like in in a mysterious way. Christians yeah. even argue like, how does this happen? Like, yeah. <laughs> is there like little pieces of soul that come yeah, together? Like, come? We don't know. But God has enabled us to create, participate in something eternal, like another human being who's going to live forever, and he's either going to live forever forever in the bliss of God, in relationship with God, or he's going to be broken in hell because we've inherited our sin from our parents. Yeah. And like, when we think that way, when we think in that sort of categories, it, yeah, like you're saying, it reorients what our whole life should be aimed towards. Yeah. And, and how we should think and how we should value these things. Like, do you desire that? Do you desire to participate in God filling the world with people who love him, mm-hmm. with people who want to worship him? That's what heaven's going to be, is a planet full of people that um, God made and we made yeah. who are going to be loving him forever and ever. Yeah. Is that our vision? Or, uh, well, I'd like to be able to retire, you know, yeah. and, and with a million. I want to sit on it and... Uh, Get my timeshare. <laughs> yeah. Do you pick up your seashells. Uh, <laughs> yeah, John Piper. Kind of, kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the things I was kind of meditating on as I was thinking about love as self-giving is how the gospel says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So there is no freedom where there is no spirit of the Lord. And if you think about what love is as self-giving, that's what God is, as you said, he does in the gospel. He gives himself. And then when God gives to us, he gives us the spirit. We become a gift back to him. We, we yeah. render back to God. And you see this in the world that the gospel produces free societies, mm. free economies, whereas false gospels, are, are they don't have this idea of freely given love, right? Only Christianity has a gospel of, of grace, yeah. right? Something that you don't deserve that is freely given to you. And, and this is why you have so much slavery, mm-hmm. envy, um, uh, you know, tax and theft and all sorts of things in nations that despise the gospel. Mm-hmm. Or as you see in our nation, a nation that was very productive, you know, whether that was the Protestant work ethic and all sorts of things, mm. but it was it was built on this Christian religion, this religion of freedom and freely giving that creates free men and creates free societies. And as we have more and more abandoned God, what do we have now? 
what do you have in all the God-hating wor world? It's socialism. It's oppression. It's slavery. It's work camps in China. You know, it's oppression. And, and I think we often forget about how much the gospel impacts you going and buying groceries or whether you can or not, or whether you right. can afford to put gas in your car. And, you know, you see what's happening in like Cuba and other yeah. places where it's like, can you like, they, they've got major issues yeah. because they don't have the freedom that comes from a God who is himself self-giving. Uh, I want to close by talking about this uh, quote on the last page about uh, the household as the first institution and the most important institution. Um, and so CRY is going, going to assert that, and he says, uh, from it, from the household, every other institution proceeds, and what is commonly called the economy grows. Um, so I want to respond to one potential objection that someone might have when they read that. And maybe you think, okay, the household is the first institution. Yeah, in creation, God gives Eve to Adam and they constitute a household. That's the first institution before right. anything else. But what about now that Jesus has come? And Jesus is going to tell us some radical things about we have to be willing to leave our household leave home and mother and houses. And he says, if you do that, you'll receive in this time yeah. more, a, hun a hundredfold. The one thing he does omit is wives. Yeah. Right? He said, brothers, sisters, lands, but wives, you don't, you don't get. And, <laughs> and I think uh, uh, Herman Bovink, uh, you know, is very good on the relationship between nature and grace. And I think that's a good, those are good categories for us to bring to bear on this discussion. So if you're yeah. feeling like, is there this, there's this tension between the primacy yes. of the church against the household. And you see this in conversations about singleness, yeah. wanting to you know, elevate singleness as equal status with, with marriage mm -hmm. or uh, trying to decide should one have primacy over the other. Jesus was single, you know, Paul, Paul was single. Is that actually a higher way? Yeah. So you have some of the monastics uh, wanting to go that route and say, mm -hmm. okay, marriage is for some people, but if you want to really be spiritual, you should right. be a monk. Yeah. And, then, and then you have some of the danger on the other side where you'd want uh, you know, recovering focus on the family, recovering the family, right. a, uh, you know, a disparaging of singleness as, as ever good, right? As if, right. As if it's just d deficient com right. completely. Or an absolutizing of like certain authorities, maybe to the detriment of like the spiritual life. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so what we would want to say is that, uh, and this was, you know, Bavink's insight that he uh, hits on again and again in his uh, dogmatics is that uh, grace does not abolish nature. Grace right. restores and redeems nature, redeems and restores it. And so uh, even though, yes, the church, the household of God is the eternal one mm -hmm. and the temporal one are, you know, our flesh and blood, you know, yeah. we're not given in marriage and the resurrection. Mm -hmm. uh, the kingdom of God does not come and obliterate <laughs> The household. Yeah. No, it reprioritizes where it is so that while it is uh, maybe chronologically the first institution, it is the church that is going to be the household of God that lasts forever, mm. where the, the household is actually, and marriage is a type pointing to the antitype of Christ's love for the church. And so right. we don't want to pit them against each other in unhealthy ways. Uh, we want to see uh, the grace of God, uh, the kingdom of God coming to set all those things aright. And I think the, the basic example of this would be what Jesus says are the two greatest commands. So you can't love your wife 
or your children, your husband or whoever, unless first you're loving God. And so there has to be that priority. Mm. And you're just like, oh, should I, should I hate my brother and mother? Well, Jesus says, yeah, in a certain sense, you should. And, then, and if you hate your mother and brother and father, the way that Jesus is talking about, that's the only way you're actually able to truly love yeah. your mother and brother and father and so on. And so right. uh, uh, grace does not abolish nature. God's grace comes to restore them to their, their proper place and then point us to what the eternal kingdom is going to, to look like. Any other thoughts on that before we conclude? Yeah, I think the only thing I would add is to say that um, I think Bobbing has elsewhere expanded this, but that means that grace is not, it's not hostile to nature. Yeah. It's hostile to sin. Yes. So, uh, and that's a helpful way of thinking about it is it's not as if um, the grace of God and the grace of Christ is a plan B for humanity in, in the sense of like, all right, that didn't work. So we have this completely new way of thinking about things. And, you know, and people will do this when they, they misquote Paul in Galatians 3. There's neither Jew, Gentile, male, or yeah. female. And they say, see, the radical nature of the gospel. Yeah, it makes is, you transgender. It's, uh, like, makes <laughs> the gospel you genderless. is so radical yeah. that you no longer have any gender. Yeah. yeah it's, no, no. The point is to say that the gospel, it, it's hostile to sin. What has sin done? Sin has corrupted us. Sin has caused us to exchange, Romans 1, the natural for the unnatural. Yeah. Sin has caused us to love good things in an improper way. And that's what exactly what you're talking about. So what the gospel does, what, what God's grace does, is it breaks into our hearts and it reorders our affections rightly. And sometimes in a fallen world, that means you do have to in a sense, turn your back on your family. People get converted from Islam and their family abandons them. That's a, people, some people are called to that. Yeah. Uh, they're not uh, disobeying, they're, they're obeying God um, and not man. Yeah. And they're, because the, we're fallen world and until Christ returns, we're still going to run into problems. Yeah. Well, chapter three uh, concludes actually part one of this book. And uh, next week, we're going to be looking at part two on household economics, talking about property. And this is where we're going to get into uh, some of the, I think, some of the really fun uh, stuff in this book practically. Yeah. Uh, so, Jacob, we finally have a, have a sign-off. And do we want to explain to people what the sign-off is? I feel like they should just figure it out themselves. <laughs> so I think we're just gonna, we'll just stick with it, and then one, um, they'll get it. If they don't get it, they can ask. Okay, so, what, so uh, what should people do this week? Well, whatever you do this week, you need to get wisdom, and you need to build that house. Build that house. Peace. <laughs>